Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,296. Today we're going to be talking about a mark that I love, Porsche, their 75th anniversary, and specifically their 356 model, the car that launched it all. Ah, sure wish I had one. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in Marine on St. Croix, a Minnesota, with a very special guest. He's actually a returning guest by the name of Gordon Maltby. Gordon, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I'm ready, Mark. You know, you were a guest way, way back, number 232 in April of 2015. My goodness, a lot has changed in the world and our lives since then, Uh, but I'm really happy to have you back, and you're going to be sharing a fantastic book with us today. But before I introduce you and we get into this book, I didn't ask you this question last time you were on the show. What's one little thing that most people don't know about you, Gordon? Well, I guess the one thing that might surprise people is that I hate waxing cars. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, you like driving them. I know that. I do, I do. Waxing is, um, you know, I enjoy working on cars, but waxing, you know, polishing, cleaning, toothbrushes, that sort of thing, it's just boring and <laughs> tedious. I'd, I'd rather do almost anything else, like bleed the brakes or adjust the clutch. Ah, true car guy. Well, I'm going to have to send Mr. Mio- is it Miyogi over there, wax on, wax off, to give you a little attention to the waxing part. But no, I, you know, I get it. I, I've been a car, I'm on the other side. I'm a car fanatic. I've always been about keeping cars clean. But as the past few years have gone by, I've, I've kind of eased off of some of that. It's not as interesting anymore. I'm probably, maybe I finally matured a little bit. I'm doing some other things (laughs) with my life, but I liked working on cars as well, but you're so much more knowledgeable when it comes to working on cars that uh, it's probably easier for you. I understand. Yeah. Times change and uh, no problem. And there's lots of people out there who do a great job and take care of your cars, waxing and polishing. So I get it. (laughs) Very good. Well, we're going to have some fun. Let me give you an introduction. Gordon Maltby was introduced to Porsche way back in 1973 when he bought a 1969 911S. It would be followed by dozens of Porsches of all kinds over the years, lacking the deep pockets needed to pay specialists. There we go. He learned how to build engines, do bodywork, upholstery, and gain an insight into all these cars' systems. Two years of art school, then a few years working as a mechanic, and a few more years in a printing business led to a job as art director for classic motor books. And in 1990, he wrote Porsche 356 in RS Spiders. At the time, when there were a few books on the Porsche 356, then a variety of experiences was the perfect background for a new job as editor and publisher of the Porsche 356 Registry. I've been a subscriber for many, many years back in 1992. 26 years later, he retired, having developed the magazine into a premier publication on old Porsches. And during this time, his company, RPM Auto Books, also published several Porsche titles, the 356, 911, and 912. And today, Gordon is going to share his new book, 
that was commissioned by Motor Books, our friends who are publishers there of many fine books. His is titled Porsche 356 75th Anniversary, and it celebrates the first Porsche model and the company's early history. Sit tight. We're going to have a little visit from our sponsors now. Give them a little love, and we'll be right back. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up, way up. But my usage was the same, and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations, and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866 224 9324 and protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Are you wondering what your collector car is worth these days? Are you thinking about buying a collector car? I know who can help. My friends at Classic.com will help you stay on top of the market so you know which similar vehicles are out there, what they're selling for, what you should pay, and how to price your vehicle. Go to Classic.com slash garage, enter your vehicle's information, specs including the year, make, model, mileage, and options, and they will provide you with a list of recent comparable sales. Their powerful search engine is up to date, finding new listings, tracking sales, and keeping you informed, providing data so you can make the right decision. If you're selling a vehicle, they can help as well with their Classic.com Pro Division, steering you to a qualified professional who will help. Finding the right vehicle and selling your vehicle is all about timing and exposure. So what are you waiting for? Go to classic.com slash garage and give it a run. That's classic.com slash garage and tell them Mark sent you. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. They're talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. So, Gordon, this book is tremendous. Uh, As you know, I'm a Porsche 356 fan. Should have bought one a long time ago because they've become a bit unobtainium. (laughs) But I want to talk about this book because it's huge. This thing is 255 pages. It just covers a wide experience of Porsche from the very beginning and then it transitions into the 911s that you even have a section in the back about other Porsche vehicles. Let's talk about the Porsche 356. What is it about this car and all the years you spent with the registry that you're so enamored by? The 356 is a car that really just somehow appeals to people, both visually 
And um, for a number of other reasons, one of them would be the car is fairly simple compared to today's cars. Of course, it's uh, it's it's just a box of bolts. <laughs> it's very simple. But there is this appeal that goes beyond the way it looks and uh, the simplicity and the way it runs. And uh, the ergonomics is also something that's really kind of important. When you get in the car, all the 356s, once you're inside, there's really plenty of room. You uh, you don't feel cramped. And um, there's, a, uh, there's a connection that people feel to it. I had an interesting experience in the late 90s when Volkswagen was about to introduce the uh, new Beetle. And uh, I had just finished restoring a 356A coupe that was a gorgeous little car in what was, I thought, one of the prettiest colors ever, a rhodium green. Oh, I love that color. color. Yeah. Well, it was um, shiny and parked at the curb uh, in Stillwater, Minnesota, near here. And there was a group of, I think I would say teenagers, probably middle school, maybe um, maybe high school. They were kind of milling on the sidewalk by my car. And as I walked over, one of them looked at me and said, is that the new Beetle? <laughs> and I thought, wow, yeah. that is an astute observation. You know, clearly anybody that knew cars would recognize this is an old car, you know, a white plastic steering wheel. Now it's not a new Beetle, but... They saw a family resemblance that has carried through all of the cars, all the 356s, even into the 911 world. I think people still see there's a there's a family here, and uh, you can see not only on the outside, but any 356 driver has probably driven plenty of Volkswagens. They know that resemblance and just the way it drives and feels. So it's amazing that that. Um, that sort of family value and family resemblance has carried through all those years. And it appeals to people. It just continues to. If you're driving a Model T, for instance, that's kind of a strange experience, and very few people can relate to that. And these days, however, a 356 still looks somehow modern and approachable and fun and you know, it's like a clown car almost. People see it and they <laughs> smile. Yeah. It just does that to people. So there's an attraction there on the surface that is sort of subliminal. And then when you get to know the cars and really understand them and appreciate the engineering in them, then, you know, you can't help but fall in love. Oh, They're wonderful yeah. cars. Yeah. I fell in love a long, long, long time ago. That color you <laughs> mentioned is is one of my favorite colors. And I've, I've thought about, you know, they have the wonderful long list now of paint to sample at the Porsche website for building a car. And that's one of my favorites. And I've, I've thought seriously about ordering a new one and, and painting it in that color. So I don't know. It could end up in my garage one of these days. <laughs> That would be great. Well, it'd be wonderful for sure. Uh, I've had lots of 911s, but I've never ordered a brand new one. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what uh, is in the future here, especially since I gave up my uh, my Porsche Turbo last summer. So a uh, little money burning a hole in my pocket. Oh, The Porsche 356, you go through the entire legacy and history. Uh, you're the perfect person to do this. Was there anything as you went through this book and did your research that surprised you? Well, not really. I've been kind of hands-on with 356 um, history for so many years that um, there aren't a lot of things that have escaped my attention over that time. 
But um, I have to say that uh, Jens Torner at the Porsche Archives was very helpful in sending photographs. As a matter of fact, he sent probably six or eight times as many photographs as I could fit in the book. <laughs> but I was, I would scroll through all of these images, and there were quite a few new ones. Um, some of them are in the book. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to say that some of those images, people picking the book up won't say, oh, yeah, I've seen this one before. There's a lot of new stuff in there. And uh, a lot of the uh, photos that Jens sent, I couldn't really use. They they just somehow didn't fit into the storyline. But I'd spend a long time looking at them and thinking, wow, I would like to know the story behind this. Many of the old photos from the archives, there's no delineation about where or when or what the situation was. So uh, you can only wonder. But there certainly are a lot of I think new information in the book, I, I hope people will find that there's some new information. And maybe more importantly, I've taken a different tack in producing this book. There's no shortage of 356 information out there. And I think people find that a lot of it is kind of the same stuff. The focus in this book is really the relationship between Reuter and Porsche, I think most people don't quite understand how important Reuter was. They built all of the bodies over all the years. Well, not everybody, but for the most part, they were the body builders. Porsche was basically just an assembler, designing and assembling the cars after the uh, bodies were built. Of course, they made all the engines and transmissions. All of the uh, mechanical parts were made by Porsche or outsourced from other people. But Reuter was right at the center of everything that Porsche did really through the whole history of the 356. And that's that's an interesting focus. I can thank Frank Young, who is now the um, head of the Porsche archives. He wrote a book called um, Porsche 356 Built by Reuter. And it came out in English a couple of years ago. Unfortunately, it's no longer available in English, but it's a lovely, well-done book that really uh, gives a person tremendous insight into that relationship. So I've uh, taken a lot of information from that book and from uh, other archive things and uh, hopefully have given people sort of a new look at Porsche history. Well, I'm glad you did that because a lot of times people don't realize that these different parts in many cases came to Porsche and then they assembled the car. Now, of course, they built the engines and, and other things, but the bodywork. And when you go to the Porsche factory, well, I haven't been there in a while. Last time I was there was in 20, when was it? I think it was about 10 years ago, actually. Maybe maybe a little bit more. And you see these trucks arriving with different parts and so forth and you go, Oh, I thought they made every single little piece, but no, I mean, <laughs> switches come from one place and sometimes bodies come from the other and, and so forth. So it's a nice correlation between that badge and people will look at the Porsche and see those Reuter badges and go, what's that? That is, who, who's, who is that? Some guy's name or something that built the car? So I'm glad that you did it. But I tell you, thumbing through this book, there's so much information in here and I love all the photographs. And I always ask people about challenges I would imagine what to leave out when you think about all those images. Was that your biggest challenge with putting all this information together? Well, that was a challenge. Uh, this was an unusual situation. Motorbooks uh, contacted me. My editor, Zach Miller, called about a year and a half ago and said, would you like to uh, write a book? And, you know, being retired, I, I, I like to stay busy. So I'm, I'm making a good faith effort at retiring. I'm not very <laughs> successful at it yet. Yeah. Zach asked about writing this book, and I thought about it for a few days and told him, sure, I'll do it. I thought it would be an interesting challenge. Motorbooks uh, 
is part of the Quattro Press organization, and it's a big company. And I'm sort of used to being autonomous and working on my own. And so this was a new experience for me. And um, the real challenge probably was uh, trying to keep the number of words down because they had a word count, they had a page count, and they had a photo count. If it had been me, I would have used twice as many photos in the book. And uh, we finally figured out, well, okay, here's the number. And I, I chose that number, 300, something like that. And the real problem came when we uh, got to the layout because graphic design is really my favorite type of work. So I was dealing with some other person or people who I had no knowledge of. And uh, uh, yes, <laughs> they, uh, they were plugging in photos in the wrong places and they were determining the size of the photos and it really became an issue. I had to tell them, listen, this photo is more important. Here's a color photo that we can use instead of this old black and white photo. So there was a, I, I won't call it a struggle, but there was uh, some effort put into getting the actual layout completely finished and the way I wanted it yeah. and the way I think it would convey the story best. So that was, that was the challenge. Uh, we worked it out and I have to say that beyond that, um, the production values that Motorbooks put into this book, the paper, the printing, the resolution of the photos, um, it really is a very nice book. And, uh, I have to, uh, I have to give them kudos for producing a really nice-looking book. <laughs> Again, I probably would have done it differently if I was on my own, but I'm proud of it, and I hope people enjoy it. Well, it's wonderful, and I understand that being a designer myself, when you start working with other designers who do things differently, it can be a challenge. And you were a big part of, you know, obviously, 356 Registry Magazine for so, so long, and I've been a I'm trying to think how many decades I've, you know, been a subscriber to that because uh, I love it. So, yeah, that can be a bit of a challenge when uh, someone says, no, do it this way. But you've, I would imagine because of your history with the car, you had so much more knowledge of the importance of certain images over others. Uh, you had a little bit of a trump card there uh, to be able to help make the book what it is. And it certainly turned out fantastic. So, in uh, Motorbooks, they do such a great job. I think probably a third of the books in my car library or probably motor books. Um, and I've got, yeah. I'm, I'm nearing a thousand books now in my library. So, uh, I, I figure when I'm, when I'm old and feeble and can't go to the garage anymore, I have a lot of reading I can do and sit and enjoy. So, <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm trying to categorize it all right now with an archive type thing and listing everything I have. And, uh, I kind of sometimes go, holy cow, I've got, I've got a lot of books, but, uh, they're a great reference. Well, you did an awesome job. I really love it. You know, since you've been on the show before, I'm going to twist up some of these more personal car questions that relate specifically to 356s and perhaps things that you discovered as you were putting the book together. I always ask people about a special vehicle in their life, but I'm going to tie this to a 356. Now, I know you've had one. You mentioned that beautiful car you restored, but is that the car that you would say is your special 356? Or maybe there's another one that is in the car you actually own, but you really love. Oh my, <laughs> quite a question. <laughs> that, open, that opens up the book, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, I have to ad admit the I, I've owned um, several 356s. I've never owned an open 356 because even 20 or 30 years ago, I couldn't afford open cars. They were just too expensive. So mine have all been coupes and um, probably the, the, the best 
one I ever owned was an unmolested car, but uh, I just ended up selling it because um, I didn't want to restore it. And I ended up restoring a car that really was pretty beat up that a radium green car started out as ah. a pretty rough, pretty rough car. I mean, it ended up being a nice car, but boy, the work involved. I wouldn't go back and do that again. <laughs> so, no. you know, I have to tell you, the, the 356s probably don't have the same place in my heart that the 911 does. Uh, my first car was a 911, and um, I just bought another 911, a 997 Cabriolet, which I'm looking forward to taking on road trips this summer. So the really special cars in my life, though, have probably been... Maybe some Mercedes. I've had a few Mercedes 220 SE coupes. Lovely cars. Just love the look of them. And um, I had a 190 SL, which sort of was my introduction into German cars. The first sports car I had was an Austin Hilly Sprite. And I think everybody should have a car like that because it was fun, but it was so awful. <laughs> I'm sorry, but English cars, English sports cars, at least from the 50s and 60s, are a challenge. funny things that, yeah, you you know, you never know if you're going to make it home. <laughs> so after I I, um, I turned my uh, Austin Hilly Sprite into a piece of junk by hitting a guardrail, doesn't take much to turn one of those into a piece of junk. I bought a 190SL. Oh, that's a little different. Just a, that's a tank. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just amazed at how, and even though this 190SL had some rust and it had been through the mill a few times, it was so solid, and I just loved looking at every little detail about how it was designed and put together. It was just a lovely car. I had this daydream that I would do like a Route 66, that old television show where the guys drove around in a Corvette oh, and just sure. had adventures. I was going to do that, but with a 190SL. Well, that never it never happened, but I did end up restoring the car, at least, uh, you know, to the extent I knew how to restore a car when I was about 21 years old. And maybe the, uh, the most interesting telling moment with that car was when I drove uh, to my wife's, at the time, my girlfriend's parents' house to meet the parents. Ah. <laughs> I was driving in my newly restored 190SL on a lovely summer day with the top down. And I thought, you know, this is pretty cool. I'm a pretty cool guy. <laughs> and uh, we we pulled into the driveway, and uh, I didn't even notice that my wife had grown up in a Frank Lloyd Wright designed house. I didn't notice the two Frank Lloyd Wright what? designed houses there. Oh my! I only I only noticed as I pulled in there was a 300 SL Gullwing in the driveway. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so wow. my. Uh, my my ego was deflated slightly, <laughs> and uh, it turned out that that car actually wasn't just a 300 SL. It belonged to Frank Lloyd Wright. It was one of the cars that he'd gotten when he had designed Max Hoffman's showroom in 1955. Oh, yeah. And my wife, Lonnie, her parents, uh, her mother was driving it to the grocery store while they put ads in the paper to sell it for Wes Peters, Frank Lloyd Wright's son-in-law and um, oh chief gosh. draftsman. Whoa. So anyway, there was a lot of history there and there was a lot of car there. And I was a little, I was a little uh, sort of put in my place. 
And then her father walked over, didn't even say hello. He just looked at my car and said, oh, you got a few runs in the paint there. Oh, <laughs> ouch. My, Thanks, Dad. <laughs> uh, my, my meet the parents moment was pretty deflating. Yeah, well, but, you know, uh, dads can be that way about their daughters. I'm sure I <laughs> said some things to the, to the yeah. young men that came to my so, house. So really, that 190SL was my introduction to German cars. And the next one was the 911S. So I've, I've kind of uh, owned German cars all these years. I've never looked back. What a story. I mean, fantastic. <laughs> and I'm going to talk about a book you wrote in regards to Frank Lloyd Wright, because I've got a strong affinity for that gentleman, because my father was an architect and he taught me about him way back when. But I know Frank Lloyd Wright was into cars. So that is a really, really, really cool story. I love it. You know, the first Porsche 911 I ever drove was a 70 911S that was in sepia that brown color, uh-huh. a neighbor up the street who was a general manager at a Porsche or a, actually a, a Chevrolet dealership. He brought it home once and I just turned 16 and he said, Hey Mark, I know you like Porsches. Would you like to drive this? He goes, we got this car in trade. Maybe your folks will buy it for you. And of course I ran that by my folks and I think they're still laughing today. <laughs> um, yeah, that wasn't going to happen, but oh man. Yeah. I remember that was that I had already been bit by the Porsche 911 bug with that one. Put set the hook and pull me on the boat. So I love it. You know, I have a question for you that I didn't ask you last time. I've become a car psychologist since we last spoke, and that enables me to kind of dive deep into your mind. If you were reincarnated as a vehicle, now this isn't what you want to be. This is how you perceive yourself as a vehicle, manifest as a vehicle. What would you be, Gordon? But more importantly, why? Oh, that's pretty easy. Part of me would be a truck. Okay. I've always had a pickup truck because I've always got projects going. I'm always hauling something. And, uh, you know, there are times where a car just isn't going to do it. A pickup truck is what you need. And I would sort of do a hybrid between a pickup truck and probably a Porsche Boxster. Okay. Although sometimes, I have to tell you that over the years, I've had had four Boxsters, um, all cobalt blue. I love that color. And... There was one car, especially a, it was a 2001 Boxster S that I ended up driving all winter. I had a set of snow tires, and it's a great winter car. And uh, I would use it all the time to go to the lumber yard. I found that you could get probably four or five two-by-sixes uh, in the car. If you, that, there, there, there are a couple of little uh, roll bar bumps behind the seats. Yeah. And between those bumps, if you take the air deflector out, two by sixes or even two by eights will fit in there if you're oh taking gosh. them home from the lumber yard. Oh my gosh. That always uh, made people look twice when they saw that boxer going down the street with lumber sticking out of it. Yeah. But hey, perfectly practical car. Yeah, they're wonderful. So I'd be I'd be a pick I'd be a top down pickup truck uh, with uh, sports suspension. I guess <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> oh, very interesting answer to that question. I like that. I've had a few hybrids on this show, so that kind of makes sense. You know, we we talk about books, and of course, today we're promoting this wonderful new book by Gordon Porsche three fifty six seventy fifth anniversary. Of course, uh, published by Motor Books. You've got to get your hands on this if you love old Porsches and if you just love history, because that's a lot of what this book is all about: is this history and evolution of a car that really stayed the same but kept changing all the way into the 911s and I really think in a way up until today but the other book you wrote in 2020 is Growing Up Right W-R-I-G-H-T a book about your parents uh, home that was uh, Frank Lloyd Wright designed home can you talk a little bit more about why you undertook that task I mean I kind of see why but sounds very interesting 
Well, uh, my wife, uh, from the age of six, grew up in uh, a house that her parents built just outside of Stillwater, Minnesota. They, um, it, it's a quite an interesting story. They went to see Mr. Wright in 1954. They didn't have any money, but they had this idea that they would have him um, look over some plans. My um, my mother-in-law, Virginia Loveness, was an artist, and she also had drawn plans for a new house they were going to build on some lakefront property. And they went to see Mr. Wright, introduced through a family friend, and she sat down with him. He looked over her plans, and after a short while, he'd crossed everything out and said, well, you know, this you can't do it this way. And uh, he said, I guess we'll have to design a house for you. And he did. And uh, in the spring of 1955, they uh, began building this first house. And um, Don and Virginia Loveness built it literally by hand, uh, stone, stonework, lumber work over two summers. And then uh, at the end of 1956, they moved in. And uh, is there a documentary on? I've seen this story, I think, on YouTube. Is there a documentary yes, about this? We we have produced uh, two YouTube uh, videos about this. Oh my gosh, that's you! I mean, that's your. Yep. <laughs> your I had no idea. Oh my gosh, I loved that. I I watched that. It was fascinating. Well, it's been kind of fun. I've uh, I've morphed from uh, being uh, you know a, a print guy into being a video guy, which I'm not very good at yet. But <laughs> practice. We've, we've enjoyed doing these videos, and uh, one of them has uh, I think sixty thousand views, and the other one has only been up a month, and it has thirty five thousand views. So yeah, it, wow. you know it's it's striking a chord with people out there. Oh, you did, you did a and, wonderful job. And I, the reason I found oh, it was, you. well, you're welcome. I'm not surprised though with your eye. Um, the reason I found it was I was looking at a video about a home that just recently sold in Carmel by the sea out on the water, a home oh, yeah. I've seen many times that was in a family forever. And they finally, well, finally, they just sold it. I'm shocked they sold it, but they had some videos uh, was the grandson of the lady who built the house. And then for some reason, you know, YouTube links up with other things and that's how I found yours. So I'll, I'll put a link to both of those on Gordon's show notes page. If you have a love for architecture and Frank Lloyd Wright Holmes, uh, I think you really enjoy this very much. That, God, that's you. That's your wife. That's wife family. <laughs> Incredible. Small world, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's just absolutely it fascinating. Yeah. Well, I'm going to enable you to go on the ultimate drive today, Gordon. I'm going to buy you any Porsche. Park any Porsche at all. Don't worry about the price. I'm going to park it in your garage and you can take it on a drive anywhere with anybody, even somebody from the past who's no longer with us. So for a diehard Porsche guy that's had so many of these cars over his lifetime, what does the ultimate drive look like for you if money is no worry? Oh, my. <laughs> that's a good question. You know, Mark, I have to tell you, it probably wouldn't be a Porsche. What? Um, okay, wait a minute. You, you can't answer that way. That, that's not allowed from Gordon Maltby. But okay, I'll let you, it's it's your drive. So take us away. Well, I uh, I, I would love to be riding in a 300 SLR with uh, Fangio. Oh. And I the the thing I would ask him is how do you drive smooth? Hmm. It's supposed to be the smoothest race driver ever. And that is not easy to do. I've I've done enough autocrossing and quite a bit of ice racing, which is an interesting thing, to know what it what it takes to be a good driver. I'm not, you know, I I know why I'm not. I'm not smooth, and I would love 
to have Fangio tell me, uh, preferably in English, how do you do it? Yeah. So wow. that probably, that would be my, uh, my, my dream excursion on a racetrack. Okay. But I have to tell you something else. I, I very honestly, I have an inner ear thing where I get car sick. So. Oh, no. Well, maybe <laughs> right, you should driving. be driving and he's telling you yeah. how to drive smooth. How's that? Yeah. There you go. Maybe that would work. I think so. Wow. It's, you know, it's, a, it's an unfortunate thing. I was at the um, Porsche Experience Center a few years ago with the 356 registry trustees, and we were all given an opportunity to go on the track in either a, a Carrera, a, a Turbo, or a, a GT2. And uh, we all mm. took our turns. And the driver in the GT2 I was in was, I mean, you can't help but be impressed. They're not trying to impress you. They're just driving the car near its limit, and it is something else. We went across around two turns, and I had to tell them, please, <laughs> you got to slow down. This is, this is not making my day. Yeah. So that's that's one uh, regret I have. I, I can't really appreciate fast cars if someone else is driving. <laughs> well, I understand. I've been in two cars as a passenger on tracks that, the drivers crashed, and so I oh. don't. I don't get in the right seat anymore because third time's the charm, right? I don't want that third time uh, to be something <laughs> desperate. But yeah, once was in a BMW M3 here at Pacific Raceway, and I actually flipped the car upside down and went off the road. Uh, that was not too much fun. And the other time was in a Viper at uh, Laguna Seca before the historic races. And uh, the guy uh, did a 356, no, a 360. That would be something else. Uh, well, he could do a 356 and backed it into one of the barriers there. So, uh, yeah, I don't I don't get in the right seat anymore. And it's really a bummer because I was at the uh, historic races at a private party last summer during car week. And they were giving people rides in a whole bunch of really nice Porsches and so forth. And some very famous drivers were out there uh, driving, including Jensen Button. And I so wanted to jump in the car but i just my rule is no more not going to do that yeah. <laughs> anymore i don't know if i'm bad luck or, or i'm in the car with the wrong people but yeah i don't feel very good in the right seat it just doesn't i don't like it so anyway that's the way it is well that's pretty cool 300 slr mercedes with fangio and gordon will be driving this time thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> You've taken us on another fun ride, and I, again, can't say enough about this book. It's absolutely fantastic. 75th Anniversary Porsche 356 book by Gordon Maltby. It's got a wonderful foreword by Grant Larson. It's published by our friends at Motorbooks. Gordon, before I let you go today, could you maybe share some inspiring words of wisdom with us? Oh, okay. Um, boy, I'm generally not the guy that waxes <laughs> philosophic about that, but... Um, you know, one of the uh, things that I think we talked about last time I was on your show was advice for people who would be going into a particular area of work. And, you know, my area, publishing, editing, writing is something I kind of fell into, but I really have enjoyed it. So if anyone else was thinking of that, that sort of vocation, I would say... Uh, most important thing you can do is read. If you're going to be a writer, you need to read and appreciate what other people do, learn from them. And if you're going to be a graphic designer and uh, you know do visual communication, again, look at what other people are doing and uh, appreciate the good stuff and uh, look also at the bad stuff so you, you know what doesn't work yeah. in visual communication. So if you're going to do it, you know, spend some time 
observing what other people do, and uh, especially reading. It's pretty central to the job of anything in publications. Yep, absolutely. It is key. And even if you're not going into that vocation, reading, ah, so important. I mean, you just learn so much and the world is your oyster for people who read and read a lot. Uh, My wife and my kids devour far more more books than I do. Um, I can't keep up with them. They're just uh, voracious (laughs) readers, but uh, that's why they're so darn smart, I think. Is there a way for people to kind of keep up with you, Gordon? Do you have a website, for instance, where people can go and buy your Frank Lloyd Wright book? As a matter of fact, we do. uh, My publishing company is called River Place Media. Um, we have a subdivision, if you will, called RPM Auto Books, but riverplacemedia.com is where you can buy a signed copy of my book or my wife's book, Growing Up Right. And it's free shipping, just like pretty much everybody else. And, uh, you know, we'll ha- be happy to sort of personalize any inscription in the book and ship fast. <laughs> All right, cool. So that, that's where you can get it. All right, I'll put a link to that. I'm going to have to get me one of those books about your wife growing up right. That is just uh, fascinating. So funny, small world, but uh, there you go. Also, a big shout out to uh, Steve Roth at Motorbooks uh, and the entire Motorbooks team, Zach as well, uh, for publishing this book um, and uh, allowing me to reconnect with Gordon this way, which is oh so nice. Gordon, thanks for being so generous and coming back to visit me here. Love this new book. Until you and I talk again, Hopefully, I'll see you somewhere down the road, maybe in an SLR. Who knows? (laughs) All right. It's been fun. Thanks so much, Mark. You're welcome. This has been a delight. Being a professional automotive technician today requires an understanding of technology, computers, and electrical systems that are highly advanced and very complex. Cars yeah is pleased to support TechForce Foundation. It's one of our charities of choice, and its efforts to help young people pursue the technical education and careers as automotive techs. Through scholarships, grants, and good old-fashioned hands-on experience with cars, trucks, boats, and more, TechForce and Carsia are working to connect young people with viable careers in the automotive sector. Join us by visiting techforce.org today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.